0: Hey, Queeros. Now I'm doing something a little different today. This is an episode of Netflix's new original podcast, The Homo Schedule. On each episode, join hosts Jasmine Savoy-Brown and Liv Hewson as they check in with incredible creative queer folks and explore the wonderful, funny, and sometimes ridiculous parts of the LGBTQ experience and add new items to the schedule each episode. Liv is an upcoming guest on Query, And Jasmine, yes, also going to come back and do an episode with us in the future. But on this episode that you're going to hear today, of the Homo schedule they got natalie morales as she talks about her directorial debut plan b what it's like to play an asexual axolotl and the surprisingly public way she decided to come out with her mom come out not with her mom to her mom i also know natalie we were we've known each other for a minute but we also we're in uh mo Willems' children's book live adaptation at the kennedy center anyway just things if you like what you hear you can find the rest of the episodes on the Homo Schedule podcast feed on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this now. Enjoy. to
1: the Homo Schedule, where we're corrupting your children into celebrating their wins and being proud of the journey. I'm Jasmine, secretary of will I die alone? No, because I have my cat. <laughs> and I'm Liv Hewson. I'm chief liaison of making sure everyone gets to eat lunch together. That's very important. <laughs> Let's review the minutes from last week's meeting. What have you got? What have you noticed? I've been thinking a lot about the importance of of joy. And now I'm gonna take you on a little journey. So, I've been having not the easiest time. And so, I've been finding things to be excited about. And I come from a family on my mom's side, my Hawaii half, that um, loves to laugh. My mom raised me with all of her siblings. She has three sisters and a brother. We just love laughing together. And I haven't seen my family in a while. <laughs> And I'm going to be seeing my mom very soon for her birthday party. And what I did was I hired a choreographer, who's a friend of mine, to choreograph a flash mob for my mom's (laughs) birthday party because she loves flash mobs and she's always wanted to encounter one. And I've been slowly learning the dance every day. And every single time I work on this dance, no matter how grumpy I am, no matter how sad I am, it fills me with joy and it turns my day around. And also just picturing her face when she sees us all Burst into dance. She's going to be so delighted. And I imagine her laughing, which makes me laugh, which makes me happy. Joy really is so important. I can just turn everything around. And so, you know, today I'm just saying chase joy, find it wherever you can, even if it's minimal, even if you have five minutes to go literally sniff a rose, freaking do it because it'll make you feel better. What song is the dance to? I want to dance with somebody. That's awesome. <laughs> I want to be in a. <laughs> that song. And I just cannot wait. I also hired a photographer so we can capture my mom's pure joy in the moment when it happens. That's awesome. What's been on your mind? I've been thinking about clothes. Um,
2: I've, yeah, me, me and clothes have like had a historically very fraught relationship. I was thinking about them a lot lately because we've been working a bunch. So I've just been like showing up to work in like sweatpants and then putting. A costume on and wearing that and just like not like not really like wearing clothes normally mm-hmm. which um has always been soothing to me because I, I like not thinking about it really but I you know I I'm non-binary so there's some like gender and dysphoria baggage for me with clothes and like I'm an eating disorder survivor and so it's like ah oh, clo- yeah great fun right and when I was a teenager I was uh bullied about the clothes I wore and so it's just it's it's all great you know it's sick um, there's a lot there but I've been kind of quietly in like my adult life now, like especially as like a now sort of out non-binary person, it's like I'm 25, my body is this now, I'm not getting any taller. It's like the changes that happen to it won't be as like alien and short term anymore. Mm-hmm. For most, most of the time, I mean, obviously you can't predict the future, but I'm feeling something settle, I think. In a, in a good way? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in a good way. Or it's like clothes have just always felt like my enemy. Mm. Like dressing myself has always been such an antagonistic thing that I've hated. But then also, like I love clothes. I love like vintage tailoring and
1: like you good have great quality clothes. Thank you. Like, you express yourself very well through clothes.
2: And like I, I like fashion, and I always have. And like there are times where it's been fun. And then for so much of my life it just like hasn't been for so many reasons. And and so now I was walking around a thrift store yesterday and I bought myself some shirts that I liked. And it was just like this small thing. But I realized how significant it was starting to feel in a positive way. And so like it's not that journey isn't over. I don't think it ever will be, but it's like, oh I'm I'm like a grown up and like figuring out how to dress myself in a way that's like calm and not punishing and like discovering stuff in a nice way, you know? Does that make any sense?
1: Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Will you describe one of the articles of clothing you bought yesterday that brings you joy?
2: Well, it's interesting because I actually, one of the things I bought yesterday was a skirt and I haven't worn skirts or dresses in years really and um, the times where I did in my early 20s it was partially because I was still closeted and like not really thinking about being like well I'll just do like I'll just do this like I wasn't thinking about things that I liked wearing and, uh, and so now I bought this skirt that I liked and I'm just like oh well if I'm comfortable in my gender and if I'm figuring out how to be comfortable in my body and it's like I, I do genuinely believe that clothing doesn't have gender and people of any gender can wear whatever article of clothing then it's like then why have I created this like fear relationship around mm. wearing skirts and dresses it's like well I'm scared that people are going to think that I'm a woman mm-hmm. if if I wear those things. And it's like, well, they might, babe. Like like, like pe- people might think that anyway. You're like, I can't control that. Right. And so I'm figuring out how to do the things that I like anyway.
1: And you looked fabulous in that dress at that party we went to recently. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for sharing all that. Well, Liv, I'm going to ask you, what is on the agenda for today? Oh, my God. Today,
2: we're talking to Natalie Morales. I'm so excited about this. Natalie Morales is an
1: actor, director, writer, activist. She is the nays. She really is. She made her simultaneous directorial debut with the film's Plan B, which premiered on Hulu May 28th, 2021, and Language Lessons with Mark Duplass, which won the Audience Award at South by Southwest. Can we talk about how amazing that is for her directorial debut? Yeah. Have you seen the trailer for this film? No, not yet. I Oh, ever since it debuted at South By, every month I Google, when am I going to be able to see this movie? I've been reading a bunch about it, but I haven't seen any material yet, so I'm really excited. It looks so good. Anyway, so Natalie, she's an amazing director and also an incredibly prolific actor. She was the character of Abby on NBC's Abbies. She was Yolanda on BoJack Horseman on Netflix and so many more things. Yeah, like literally just a crazy amount more. One of the things
2: you were in. That's how yeah. you know Natalie, right? From the moment I met Natalie, I just like I thought she was so cool and like so good at her job, and I've always really admired her, and so I was like stoked to be able to have her on this podcast.
1: So anyway, big fans of Natalie here, and we can't wait for you to hear her interview. Let's enter it into the record.
0: Hi Natalie.
3: Hello, Liv. Do you want to introduce yourself to the listeners at home? Oh, I don't have any clever identifications prepared. Um, I'm Natalie Morales. I identify, I mean, my pronouns are she, they, or whomst, whatever you want. Um, (laughs) I'm really down with it all. And uh, I guess I I identify as an old typewriter. Ooh. Is it creaky? Creaky. Not just dusty. Still usable, but like tired and like a little dusty.
1: (laughs) I feel like we could dig into that, but I don't know if that if we
3: should. I don't know if this is the time. No, you don't need to because it was just the first thing I thought of. It's not extremely deep. It's storied. It's beautiful.
2: My name is Liv. I use they, them pronouns, and I'm uh, the executive in charge of the filing cabinet where everybody's nightclub wristbands
1: are kept. <laughs> I love it. I'm Jasmine. My pronouns are she, her, and I identify as the one that got away. <laughs> Natalie, you're just gay everywhere you go, including in your new role for the new rock Routes for
0: Parallel. Yes! I'm so excited
3: about that. Will you talk to us about that? absolutely i play betty who is phil and lil's mom icon you're both younger than me but i watched oh i grew up on rugrats you did oh yeah Mm -hmm. really the movies in particular yes well i certainly grew up on rugrats that that makes me feel better that makes me feel less old um not that aging is a bad thing aging is a privilege amen i love aging i just figured you wouldn't understand but for me it was a huge 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 deal growing up so it was very very exciting to get that role and yeah they, they made old Betty gay I mean she was kind of gay in the original like you could yeah. tell but now she's for sure gay yeah there was always like a
2: codified energy of like oh so something's going on there that I recognize
3: yes I trust this person <laughs> yeah in a <laughs> deeper way yes <laughs> she was the one that wore the like big sweater with the like female symbol on it does, does that, that have a yes. better name than female symbol. I don't actually know, but I know the
2: sweater you're talking about, and she would wear like a sports headband and chunky earrings.
3: Yeah, now she's wearing, I think, a Gemini sweater. Did she was gay when you were cast, or that was your idea? No, I think I think they. She was gay when I was cast. They were always planning on making her gay, which was nice.
2: Natalie, I was thinking about your body of work um, preparing for you to come on the podcast. Oh, my God. And I sort of made myself laugh because I realized how many characters you play that are from different LGBT walks of life. Mm-hmm. Like, I've, you've played a lesbian just on Netflix, like, twice that I <laughs> yes. can think of, one of which on the show we first met on, working on Santa Clarita Diet together. Yes. And I, I just love that, like, you know, if, if you need somebody to
3: play a lesbian on Netflix, you can call Natalie Morales. Uh, apparently. Um, although, I feel like I should, like, not continue to let myself be called <laughs> in that way. <laughs> Um, because, like, listen, I'm all about representation, but also, like, I read some points where it's like, is this all you see me as? You played an asexual axolotl? That's true. I did play an asexual axolotl. What's the second word you guys are saying? Axolotl. Do you know what that is? I don't. It's a walking fish. Yes, it's sort of like a underwater salamander type fish. It's very cute. They're typically pink. They have little, like, things on their heads and and little arms, and they have little smiles. Um, They're a very adorable animal. My older brother had a pet axolotl when he was a teenager when I was younger. Really? Yeah, his name was Axie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I did that. That was on BoJack Horseman. Yeah, I, I mean, I think, like... Hopefully, those things are not the defining things about those characters. Although, on the asexual axolotl, it definitely was, because that was the entire story point. <laughs> but uh, but on Santa Clarita Diet, for example, that was a really fun role to play, because she was super religious, mm-hmm. and a cop, and a lesbian, like a, a very seducing lesbian. Closeted or out? I feel like out, like totally out, but like yeah. not really... Doesn't, didn't care to talk to anybody about it but just like existing yeah I, I was very excited to go into costumes and be like can i get some wrangler men's jeans for this role <laughs> <laughs> i know i have a vision for how i wanted to dress and i wanted to be like this um it was very exciting incredible
1: I want to read a quote from an essay that you wrote. Okay. And then ask you a little bit about that, if that's okay with you. Sure, yeah. You wrote in 2017 an essay for Amy Poehler's Smart Girls blog, and reading it healed the child in me.
3: Oh, thank you.
1: Here's a piece of it that I might cry again while reading. It's kind of long, so buckle up. I also think it's important that if there are any scared kids out there like I was, I can tell you that whole It Gets Better campaign is true. It does. It does. And you're not weird, you're not bad, you're not unholy. You're exactly what God intended you to be. You are exactly what you were supposed to be because nothing is supposed to be anything except for what it is, even if not everyone understands that. You are an essential part of the world just as you were created, and I want to see you, the real you. So I grew up very religious and... Same, yeah. Oh, man, the shame, the guilt, the self-hatred was palpable, um, and I think if I had read something like that from someone I looked up to on TV when I was younger, that could have changed the trajectory of my life. Not that it's it's going fine, but the, the inner life might be a little healthier. <laughs> I had that growing yeah, up. Yeah,
3: same, same. Yeah.
1: I want to know what happened on a personal level and on a public level from your fans after you published that essay. Did anyone reach out and say thank you on Instagram? Like just tell us
3: about that. Yeah, lots of people um it was a kind of healing and special time. Um you know, I was already out to everybody except for like my family who <laughs> so certain people in my family. Yeah. But, like all my friends, everybody that I, you know, I, I was I was very public about it in my personal life, but um I'm also not in the, um, I don't know, in the, in the public life of like what people know of me as an actor, I never talked about my personal life or my family or who I'm dating or anything. Cause I don't want people to know, like that's mm. not your business, you know? Yeah. So I, I just was like, Oh, it's nobody's business to know this. And had I been straight, you know, there wouldn't have been anything to announce, I guess. So like, I was like, why do I have to announce something that, I, you know, like who cares? It's my life. And I don't, I don't need to tell anybody. And then I I think it was when I was doing this movie, Battle of the Sexes, where I was playing um, Rosie Casals, who was a, a basically out lesbian in the 70s, which was not an easy time to be an out lesbian. Um, and we were d- about to do all this press for this movie, it felt disingenuous to just be like, I'm an ally. <laughs> like, yeah. it, it, you know what I mean? It felt like I was about to do all this press from this point of view. The story is very much about Billie Jean discovering and allowing herself to be with a woman, discovering that she's a lesbian and that she, you know, it, it's it's just as much about that famous tennis battle as it is about her sexuality and her discovering these parts about herself. And so a lot of what we were talking about in the press was that, you know? Yeah, of course. And, and I was like, I, I exactly what you said, Jasmine is what was ringing in my head. It was like, damn, if I was the little girl that I once was, and like my favorite show was Parks and Rec or something, and I had like seen someone like me, maybe even like a Latinx person who was an actor, you know, and I really liked them, and I felt like I knew them in the way that we feel like we know the the people that are on the TV shows we love, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe this would make a difference, and maybe this is worth. Like risking that or or letting go of that privacy and just being like, I am a part of this community in a way that I I want to make public because it is important that we continue to normalize this as much as possible. And I I think for us that like are like in these like big cities and coastal places, we feel like it is totally normalized, but that isn't the way it is right in in the rest Uh, of the world or even in the rest of the United States, you know, and I have to keep reminding myself and reminding other people of that, too, when they're like, oh, so what? (laughs) You know, like, okay you're gay. Why do you have to tell everybody? Because right. I've gotten that response too. I don't know. I It wasn't because I was shy to say it. It was because I didn't feel like any of my personal life belonged to anybody else. But then I I thought, no, this bit of my personal life does belong to the people out there who might need it and who might feel saved from it or feel normalized from it or something right legitimized from it that's exactly
2: how i feel and then like the the intimacies of your personal life like the things that do belong to you in terms of like who you are dating or like what it feels like to be in your body or like walking the world as, as yourself, those things still belong to you and yeah. those privacies right. are still very real.
3: Yes. And, and I can share those at will if I want to, or I can keep them to myself, but yeah, it's, I, it started to shift my view on, on sharing that because I, I did start feeling exactly what you said, Jasmine of like, Someone might need this, and I don't want to be like talking about this subject from this like removed point of view when I know that it means so so much more to me than I can talk about in this like removed way. Right. So then, uh, the week that article is coming out, I was like, "Hey, mom, I got I, I read something. I, <laughs> I got to send you." <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! You sent her the article. Yeah, that's Whoa. that's how I came out to her. As I sent her that, uh, my mom is very very religious, and it was it was a bit of a shock to her um weren't you kind of like really really was it a shock yes really uh, that's exactly (laughs) what I was I mean I think after she thought about it later she was like oh yeah I guess Mm. (laughs) but I I think that in her life and in her point of view and in her experience in her culture it's not as common. Like, for example, one of her friends at work is a very clearly gay man who like, she's like, I don't believe that he's gay. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Why? And she's like, you know why? He loves beyonce he got front row tickets to see beyonce uh-huh. you tell me how why that's a gay man and like she doesn't she just doesn't see that you know what i mean like she didn't understand i'm like because he's gay yeah,
1: like that's, yeah. she's like he has a boyfriend how could he be gay he has a boyfriend that's just saying the exact same thing <laughs> yeah she just didn't understand that always really made me laugh that reminds me when I was cleaning my childhood room, I found all these pictures I drew as a kid where I paid a lot of attention to the, the breasts. Like <laughs> the it was, breast. It was basically like a little head, huge boobs, and a tiny body, <laughs> notebooks and notebooks full. I'm like, mom, do you see this? It was so clear. She's like, I thought you just loved women. I do.
3: Like, yes. I literally do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, my bedroom wall was is- covered in Hanson posters <laughs> Hanson were good because they they
2: were like very non-threatening
3: right and they were and, and Taylor Hanson is so beautiful mm. uh, that like it's quite fey he was like he allowed me to lust after a v- extremely woman looking man
2: yes <laughs> there's like there's this moment in an episode of the Simpsons where Lisa is reading like a early 2000s magazine parody and it's just called non-threatening boys yeah <laughs> and I'm like yeah that's yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's, like, it. that's
3: like pre-lesbian. <laughs> what a one.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that's the vibe. It's like oh, he just seems like I wouldn't have to worry about anything ever. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like he'd just
3: be nice
2: yeah. and <laughs> never want anything from me in any capacity, and that's appealing to me for some reason. And I could also just like look at his face
3: yeah, exactly, and never do anything else. Yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, to answer your question, so after that, my mom was actually really supportive. Uh, this year, she got me she got me a little pride teeth towel which was very oh. adorable and made me cry. That's huge. It was so huge and the fact that she saw it and thought of me and and wanted to give it to me was like so special to me and and not something I would have experienced as a kid at all like Yeah. So she she really is You know doing her best to understand and be supportive um it's a beautiful mom gift yeah it means a lot to me um even in tea towel form really means a lot to me (laughs) but yeah then then i did get a lot of messages from kids who were like Mm. i'm coming out to my family because of this and i and i got a few messages from parents who were like we're really religious in my family and and i want my child to feel safe to come out to me and and i hadn't thought about it in these terms and i hadn't thought about you know what i was saying around the house yeah could have this effect on on my child. So um so yeah I did wow. get a lot of really meaningful responses. I still do. I still get messages about that.
1: How does that feel? Is it a little overwhelming?
3: Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it but it feels really it feels really good I, i've like printed out some because i'm like i have to frame this oh, Yeah, because <laughs> um, it, it, it it's really affirming i don't know that i was like really scared when i wrote that i was mostly scared of my mom <laughs> <laughs> um you know i i'm in the wrong profession for this i i understand i don't like the idea of people talking about me when i'm not there <laughs> Okay, um, uh, we have to <laughs> tell you something. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I know this. Uh, but I imagine that it, like, never happens. But I knew that at least my family, when this came out, they would be talking about it, and that kind of bothered me. Mm. But um, but it it feels – I don't know. It feels – yeah, I guess the best word I can say is affirming. It feels very affirming. It's connective, too. Yeah. It's like you f- you feel – connected. You feel
2: yourself connected. Yeah. Yeah, and
3: I also I I feel so good even providing a bridge to a community for people that might not see it, you know? Like the bridges are everywhere, but when you're raised in a certain environment or, you know, you you might not see that there's a way out. You might not see that there's a life for you beyond the bubble that you're in. Well, that's my favorite quote from that article is I want to see you. No. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, thanks. And I do. And I I think that like God, if we all were really, really ourselves, like how much trauma and pain is caused in the world by people who are fighting so, so, so hard to not let themselves be seen. Yeah. There's so much shit and pain being caused by people who are terrified to be themselves.
2: Yeah. And then what are, what are the forces in place that make somebody feel like that in the first place? Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And how do we slowly at least dismantle that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for writing that. Thank you for publishing it. And thanks for just being you. Thank you. You do all kinds of stuff that greatly impacts me. Another one of those being Plan B. Woo! The casting (laughs) in this movie, specifically casting two women of color in your leads. I needed that more than I thought I did. Like The second the movie started and I saw them both on screen, I was like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, my God. Thank you for making that movie, first of all. And Thank you. I, I just want to hear more about that process. How did the script come to
3: you? I just want to know all about you directing and this movie in particular. Well, thanks. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I got this message the other day that I was like, wow, you really missed the point. <laughs> so, so Plan B is a movie about these two best friends, one of which is an Indian American girl and the other one of which is a Mexican American girl and they live in South Dakota and... And it's they're basically completely surrounded in, in a sea of white people, as you are a lot of times when you're in South Dakota or in the <laughs> middle of America or, or when you're like the, the children of immigrants or, or whatever. And I got a message that was like, oh, why, there are only two people of color in this movie. Everyone else is white. And I was like, oh. that's the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you, you missed that. <laughs> I really actually tried very hard to, to put some like um, Native American people in the movie because it's such a big Native American population in South Dakota and in the Dakotas in general. And it was it was like an exhaustive search for actors in that age range. And there was like no one. And, and I can't believe that that's true. Yeah, no. And I wonder about the access to people yeah. in those communities to audition and to get these breakdowns. And, and I keep talking about that because I feel like it needs to that needs to change. And I hope that like people in those communities hear these podcasts and go like, wait, I'm an actor and I'm 17 and I didn't even hear about this. And I hope that they contact me and I hope that I can introduce them to casting directors and and like make that happen because I, I found that to be so annoying that I couldn't, like I was trying so hard to represent these people that live in this place and I couldn't find anybody, like anybody at all. Like the youngest person that could audition was like 35 and I was like, I'm sorry, you don't look like a teenager. Like I can't cast you in this. <laughs> That's probably why...
2: Projects like Reservation Dogs are so exciting Exa- I
3: Exactly, I know And and I, I wonder what the casting process was for that Because I'm sure that it was like Very, very deep dive into communities That didn't have mm. um, opportunities And discovering new actors And people that had not done anything But beyond that point Thank you for saying that It was also very, very healing for me To see women of color in these roles Where they weren't relegated to the side characters And it was about them But it wasn't about how they are marginalized Right Necessarily And there are some mentions of of racism and discrimination, but that's just because it's everyday life. So we couldn't exclude that because that would be not accurate. But I didn't want to make the movie about that. Um, I had only directed um, an episode of the show Room 104 uh, that was an HBO show by the Duplass brothers. But I knew, like, I was like, I've never directed a feature before. There's like no chance I'm going to get this. But the story in here, you know, these two best friends that are in search of the Plan B pill. Not, not to toot my own horn, but I was like, I think if I make this, I could make this really cool. Toot your damn horn! Yeah, I was like, I have a vision for how to do this. Like, I, I want to make this just as disgusting and raunchy and as insane as all the movies we've gotten with, like, teenage boys where they go yeah. and, you know, have to go to the cool party or get the girl a letter or get the alcohol or, you know, whatever. In this case, it's get the Plan B pill. But I want to make it feel like the teen movies that we all grew up with and that we all saw that just happened to star boys. And all those movies, by the way, take place usually in these like bigger cities or wealthy neighborhoods or whatever. And I I wanted this to be the part of America people don't see and the people that America doesn't see and, you know, have their lives and, and their problems feel just as important and just as whatever. But I also was like, these teenage girls deserve all the raunchiness, all the craziness, all the insanity, but they also deserve for it to look Beautiful. I want it to feel, like, gritty and real. And I want you to see, like, that their skin has, like, marks on it. And I want you to see them. And I want you to feel the Americana of this. And I want it to feel kind of iconic, like the movies that we've seen before. I want their costumes to feel iconic, like you remember them, like somebody can dress up like them for Halloween, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. That's, that's the dream always. Exactly. Yes, that's exactly what I was going for. So I pitched that to these producers because I, I was like, there's no chance I'm going to get this. So I'm going to pitch it how I see it. And if I get it, great, then I'll figure out how to do what I pitched. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And if I don't get it, then it's not the movie I wanted to make anyway. Yeah, right? yeah. Sometimes it takes giving yourself, like letting yourself off
2: the hook that much, like giving yourself permission to just go completely to the walls being like, no, you know what? Fuck it. This is exactly everything I want. And that, it's, it's so funny that like the, often those are the times where you will end up getting it.
3: Mm-hmm. And I did. They bought my crazy ass pitch of like, all right, so we're going to see a penis. We're really going to see a penis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like not, not only do like marginalized groups always get these like sob stories about their lives and like, especially like with queer stories it's always like tragic or like something awful always happens so tired of it <laughs> and i definitely didn't want to do that but i also wanted it to be daring and i wanted it to have that moment in the movie theater where you're like oh shit no no, no i can't look you know i wanted it to have all those elements and still have the heart get you through this like wild story and then at a certain point in the movie you're like oh fuck this is what this movie's about. These girls should not have been on this trip at all. I'm really thankful that I got to make it. It was a really, uh, is of an emotional experience for me. There are several points in the movie that, I mean, I've seen it a lot by now, um, and I still cry a lot. I cry at Lupus scene in the car with Logan and I cry at the end with Lupa and her dad and I cry with Sonny and her mom and I cry with them together and it, it like really kind of heals my teenage soul in a way and I'm happy to have had anything to do with something like that, you know? Yeah.
1: And Again, I say, thank you. (laughs) I (laughs) feel like there's nothing else I can say. Um, Because similar to your coming out in that essay, I think you know how big of an impact it makes, but you also don't know how big of an impact it makes.
3: You know what I mean? I know how big of an impact it makes to me and to like maybe my immediate community and the people that reach out to me. But I mean, all of us do that, right? We all put stuff out in the world that a lot of people consume that we don't ever see or talk to, and we don't know the impact that that has. And so it's a big responsibility in a lot of ways that you can't, I feel like you can't take it too seriously, but at the same time, you have to know what it is. Right, right. If you take it too seriously, it's... um you freeze up. <laughs> yeah. And it also becomes somewhat contrived, right? You just have to like yeah. kind of do what you feel is the realist. Yeah, I agree. We ask
2: people a lot on this podcast about like um how they conceptualize success or like what their idea of success is, their relationship to it. it like how how does that live in in your brain? Like with these artistic questions that are so important to you and like the things you want to accomplish. How do you think about success?
3: Um, that's interesting. Do you mean success in like
2: a, in, in a career way? Whatever, however you interpret it. Yeah. That's part of
3: the question, I guess. I don't know. I don't know because I feel, I honestly feel in general in my life and especially in my career, I feel like I 12 years ago did everything I ever thought I could possibly do and so everything <laughs> hmm. since then has just been like bonus rounds of like what can I get away with and what, <laughs> what else can I do in this life because I could have died happy 12 years ago is what I mean you know what I mean like I, I, I did way more than I ever ever dreamed I could accomplish like I never as a kid thought that I could do this for a living like what I get to make movies I get to be in movies I get to meet cool people like me. I get to live in Los Angeles. I get to like have awesome friends and a dog and and you know live in a house and Aww. like yeah. I, I get to do all these things that I never ever thought possible all my life growing up, you know so so every step beyond that like i i feel wildly successful that doesn't mean i have always felt like money secure or right those or, are two or different secure things. In, in other ways <laughs> but i feel like a success for sure um and i have felt like a success for a long long time and and i think that like you know i i grew up pretty poor. And and there's definitely like a scarcity mindset that I have to fight a lot, like with food or with money or with jobs. Like I panic if there's only like one slice of pizza left and there's other people around like i have to like fight that even if i'm not hungry like i my something in my brain like turns on and yeah. is like i gotta get that last slice <laughs> you know like I, I i have that with jobs with saying no to jobs i have that with like oh yeah the the smallest weirdest things i have that with like fear of losing what i've gotten right but that doesn't take away that i've reached so much uh and so much more than i ever thought was possible in my life like i i think it's important to remember that like you are what you dreamed of at some point in your life mm-hmm. you know and and that's really exciting for me
1: amazing i love that bonus rounds that's going to be my new little theme song in my head yeah it's all bonus rounds for sure <laughs> this is a bonus round so just have Fun Because I had a similar realization a couple days ago, being a bit addicted to work and realizing, what the heck? I've done everything I want to do. There's only one thing that I haven't done yet, and that is perform on Broadway. But everything else I've ever dreamed of, I've done. So why am I stressing out? This should just be fun. Yeah. And
3: also, you have so much time to perform on Broadway. Yeah, it'll happen. Oh, yeah. I'm not worried about that. No (laughs) doubt. (laughs) doubt. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you.
1: We have one more question, then we're going to play a little game. Okay. And this is is Liv's question, so I'll let them ask it.
2: It's my favorite question. Are you familiar with uh, Fun Home? (laughs) <laughs> Hold
3: on. It's uh it's it's no, no, no. a. I I just I don't know what you said because of your accent. I don't because know if said <laughs> <yet. laughs> I don't know if you said like ET phone home or if you said like some la- somebody's last name called phone i have no idea what it is you're saying i'm so
2: sorry that's no, okay the the cosmic burden of being australian um yeah. <laughs> alice alison bechdel's graphic novel and subsequent musical oh, fun, yes. Home. Yes, okay. yes, yes, fun Home. yes yes it's
3: fun home yes yes
2: are you familiar with the song Ring of Keys from Fun Home?
3: No, I've never seen the musical or or heard the songs from it, although I am familiar with Alison Bechdel and the Bechdel test and the idea of the musical and sort of like what it's about, but I've never seen it. No problem. I will explain. So young Alison
2: Bechdel as like a child, uh, sees an older butch lesbian in like a diner and sings this song about like this feeling of like looking at this woman and being like I know you like I I recognize you and it's called ring of keys because it's like she's she's wearing like work boots and jeans and she has this like hefty ring of keys on her belt and this this little girl is like holy shit like I like I recognize you I know you And so the question I want to ask you is do you remember ever having a moment
3: like that? Oh, yeah. You mean that like young gay tingle moment is what you're talking about, <laughs> right? Yes. That moment yeah. where you're like, Ugh! <laughs> like yeah, what? "What is this?" Yes. Um, I mean there was certainly like moments where I I was growing up and and looking at friends of mine and not even really understand as as many of us didn't when because we weren't even taught that that was an option, looking at at friends of mine and being like, I really want to be your friend. <laughs> like not, not understanding the full depths of what that meant. Like, why did I want to be this girl's friend so bad? I still have
2: that sometimes. Yeah, that, that still happens to me.
3: It's like, <laughs> I don't look at my other friend's calves. Like, I don't yeah. like, stare at parts of their their like skin and body as
2: much as I'm looking at this person. And it's like, it's something in your chest. It's like recognition almost of like, we. I need to be close to you specifically.
3: Yeah, I, you know, I'm remembering two moments right now, which is my mom. My mom had this friend named Peter who she knew a lot of realtors in Miami and uh, Peter was A realtor in Miami Beach in the 90s Which meant there was like A 90% chance that he was gay Um, (laughs) And he was And my mom was a single mom And and we didn't have a lot of money As I said And I met Peter a couple times And he was this like Fabulous gay man And I would just like Stare at him Because I knew that like I I think in the In the Latin community Or at least in my community And in the In the Cuban community Like being a gay man For men For like macho men Was like a no-no Like for your dad was a no-no, but for the women, had a use, right? You were a hairdresser or you were a designer or you were like, you had mm. some something to offer and you were friends to these women and it was a little bit more acceptable. Gay women had no use because, you know, they're just trying to be men and they don't have babies and wh- whatever, right? Like that's like the bigger arching things. So I would look at gay men who were living their lives openly and freely. And and also my mom's relationship with them, who my mom was very close to a lot of gay men and and very non-discriminatory about them. Although, you know, she would say like, but of course they can't get married. Certainly not through the church. Although she did, she did always, and very early on, I don't know if it was because of an argument I had with her. She did always go like, well, they should be allowed to adopt because there shouldn't be kids in the world without parents when parents want them something in her head was like i uh, that makes sense but not marriage because marriage is between a man and a woman you know what i mean like it's like a something that she had to wrestle within herself yeah but anyway peter was my mom's friend and and we would sometimes go to his house on weekends he lived in like key west i, I was really little i don't remember a ton of the details about this but i would watch him and watch how he behaved and watch how he lived his life like very freely and I still have a fascination with like office and school supplies because he um, before I was starting school sent me a backpack, a really nice backpack full of all these school supplies and markers and stuff that my mom couldn't afford. Like oh, I was the well. kid who showed up to school with all of my mom's like work office supplies instead of like cool new like the smelly markers that everyone had, you know, and and Peter got me this Backpack full of Cool school supplies And like Like Lisa Frank Yeah And like really The really nice markers And a really nice Like fancy backpack And a really whatever And and I think it's because I mean I think he was Just a nice man But I think he saw how I looked at him and he saw, you know, what I needed and what I didn't ask for because we were poor, but I like, I never wanted for anything in terms of like actual needs. Like I had food, you know, and I had a roof over my head, but I didn't have what other kids around me had. And, and, and I think he saw that. And I think he saw like some sort of kinship with me. And I, and I still, like I said, I still have a fascination with like office supplies and school supplies. And then pretty much right after that, he died of AIDS. Mm. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's it's okay. I mean, I barely remember him, honestly. I just remember how I felt around him and yeah. I felt so safe. And I didn't feel that way around a lot of men. And I knew that with him, I was safe. I guess it was because I I knew that he dared to live his life as honestly as he could, no matter what it would cost him, you know? And and I guess I also knew that my mom loved him and accepted him. And so those two things made me feel safe. It's making me emotional. It's um, beautiful. I think that maybe was my fun home moment, was with Peter. Wow.
2: Peter. Thank you for
3: sharing that with us. Yeah.
1: That's beautiful. And it's good to remember that just being ourselves out in the world can create a safe space for someone else.
3: Totally. I mean, that's part of why I wrote that that letter, you know? Maybe I can be someone's Peter even if they don't know me. Yeah, exactly.
1: <sighs> yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to make a 180 and now play a game. <laughs> okay, great. Great. <laughs> okay, so I love to create and host these games and not to live what they are so that they can play along <laughs> with our guest. So we're going to play Gender This. We play this because we think it's so silly that gender is a thing, and also it's fun for live-to-gender things that aren't them.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love I love looking at like a, a sandwich or a pencil case and being like, this is a little guy. Like, <laughs> the, I love making gender
1: um, a tables problem instead of my problem. Sure. So I'm going to just say a bunch of words, and you guys are just rapid fire, whatever comes to your head, say what the gender is. Are we ready? Okay. Three, two, one, Nerf guns. Uh, teenage boy, I Yeah, feel. like Peter Pan, like, bo-
2: like boyhood, but like yeah. not attached to
1: anything yeah night shift by lucy dacus
3: oh
2: that's like so universal yeah i feel like that's totally genderless yeah like but like moody like a glass of red wine Mm -hmm. okay norwegian airlines
1: lesbian yeah naps babies (laughs) 90s hip-hop
3: i stripper it doesn't matter genderless but stripper yeah
1: Norton Firewall Protection.
3: Oh, like uh, like the, like Hal from 2001 A Space Odyssey. Like, oh. like,
1: like like male voice, but robotic. Okay. Yeah, I see that. Natalie Morales' Plan B on Hulu.
2: <laughs> for anyone and everyone. <laughs> it's a rainbow. Yeah. Napkins. Uh, like a 80s businesswoman.
3: Yeah, I was going to say napkins are like a 47-year-old white mom. Yeah, totally. Okay. These three are for Natalie. Never Have I Ever on Netflix. I, I know this is going to sound weird, but I feel like Teenage Boy.
1: Okay. Uh, you know what? That checks out to me. Yeah. Netflix.
3: Netflix in general. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, uh, um, Netflix in general is Vin Diesel. Naval Oranges. Ooh, Naval Oranges are like, like a hot non-binary girl on TikTok. Great. Liv, these are for you. Needlepoint.
2: Oh, like a uh, like high femme, but like cottage core, like baking
1: scones. <laughs> mm-hmm. I dated her. Nine, the musical.
2: Oh, um um femme fatale, sleek, like black and white, like legs up to here, but like described <laughs> in a man's voice. Like Charles, the dame walked in like this. <laughs> Nine, the number. That also has legs.
1: <laughs> like a like a mother, like a like a earth mother. Okay, Natalie. Noah's Ark, the story.
3: The spider going like what? <laughs>
1: Live. Nair hair removal cream like uh, an alien. Yeah. And for both of you, you know me not having the police, aka abolishing the police.
3: I I, I don't think that's even like a human in my. Percept- or like a being. I feel like that's like a like a cloud of dust you walk into where everything's shiny. Mm. I love that. I back that. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for playing you're, you're welcome. gender this.
1: And we're going to leave you on one final question for everybody to answer. What are you going to do this week to further the
3: gay agenda? I mean, I think just like existing furthers it, right? But something more specific. I'm going to fuck around and do some mushrooms. Oh. oh! hell yeah! <laughs> Heck yeah!
2: <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna be really intentional about uh, staying in touch with my friends in different countries to me this week because I, I miss them and um, I want to stay connected even if that's not physically possible at the moment.
3: I love that, Liv, That's a good idea. It's a good reminder for us all. I mean, I don't know if you guys have this, but my ADD-ness makes me sometimes forget I have friends. Oh, Because yeah. oh, it's yeah. like an object permanence thing. And I have mm-hmm. to be like, oh, I love so many people. I have to call them. <laughs> yeah, totally.
1: Because it can also be overwhelming. Like, I love yeah. so many people that it's, uh, I can't call them
3: all. So, <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I do? Uh, I Can I give you guys some advice that's so fun? Please. Especially mm. if you're bored in Vancouver. Please. Write all your friends letters. I mm. love.
1: That's crossed my mind.
3: Is it the best getting a letter.
1: That's a great idea.
3: Especially if you're at a hotel and you have the hotel stationery. Yeah. That's so a great idea. You know what?
1: That's what I'm going to do to further the gay agenda this week. I'm going to write one of my best friends a letter. Hell Thank yeah. You. I love yeah.
3: that. Natalie Morales. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so for much coming. for coming and speaking with us. Thank you, Liv. Thank you, Jasmine. After
2: every interview, there is still so much more for us to read and learn and talk about. So here are some citations we want to share with you. So in this episode, Natalie discusses the various queer characters they've played throughout their career, including an asexual axolotl named Yolanda Buenaventura on Bojack Horseman. Asexuality is often misunderstood in society or not taken seriously, but it is slowly gaining more representation in pop culture and we're talking about it more as a culture in general, which is sick. So sick. So we're going to link this article, which is why I find Bojack Horseman's depiction of asexuality deeply relatable by Michael QB for Them, which was written in 2018. I like this Quote, Bojack depicts the unique ways in which marginalized people are forced to contend with a world that often doesn't feel designed for us. The link to that article will be available in the show notes.
1: So here's an article I like. It's called Plan B is a Winning Comedy with Some Painful Truths by Linda Holmes for NPR. During the episode, Natalie talked about what it was like to make their recent movie Plan B. And This article is beautiful. It's talking about exactly what it says, the painful truths for mostly young women and specifically young women of color trying to access abortion pills in specific states. Here's um, a quote that I really like. This is a gentle, goofy, sweet and frank story about the importance of your best friends, the fact that people often love you more than you fear they will, and the concrete consequences of public policy debates that often don't even include the people who will navigate those consequences. It's a great article, quick read, and it's linked for you in the show notes. This has been The Homo Schedule. I'm Jasmine Savoy-Brown, your host, producer, and creator of the show. And I'm Liv Hewson, your host and producer. The Homo Schedule is produced by Multitude for Netflix. Our lead producer is Eric Silver, our engineer and editor is Misha Stanton, and our executive producer is Amanda McLaughlin. Be sure to follow
2: Most. Netflix is home for LGBTQ plus storytelling on Twitter and Instagram at Most.
1: And the best way to help us keep advancing the gay agenda is to tell a friend about the show. So post about us on socials or text someone a link to your favorite episode. We'll see you next
2: week. This meeting has been adjourned.